today is the fourth Sunday of Advent. The, the excitement is tenable <laughs> because, you know, year after year, we, we celebrate the season and we, we reenact, we rehearse this story over and over again to remind ourselves what it must have been like for people to not have had Jesus yet. And so in this series, Honest Advent, the, the caption there is, contemplating the vulnerability of incarnation, awakening to the wonder of God with us in the here and now. And we've been trying to go through that. We've been trying to explore some different themes that sort of parallel with some of the more traditional themes uh, in some ways. And uh, it's been fun, and I've enjoyed it. One of the things I love about Advent is you get to sing songs like It Came Upon a Midnight Clear, and we never do that the rest of the year, <laughs> you know, and like lilting yourself to sleep, but it's awesome, man, the richness of those, those Advent hymns are incredible. I digress. So, uh, you can go to the next slide. Just as a bit of a recap for our series, our first week we talked about the topic of vulnerability and what it must have been like for God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, to submit himself, to humble himself, to take the slow path and take on human flesh and to be raised as a baby. In, you know, back then they didn't have hospitals with all the cleanliness factor. We'll get into some of that in a little bit. But, you know, they didn't have those things, and so there was a big risk with birth, um, the birthing process. And so, um, although God had, you know, he was, he's in control, he's got the whole world in his hands, right? Uh, at the same time, he was, he, he was using this process that had a lot of uh, calculated risk to it. Similarly, our second week, we talked about love and how God loves us, and that that is exhibited in Jesus, um, that in that love, Jesus was taking a big risk, because as we know from Scripture, we, we covered Isaiah, I think, 53 that week, that uh, there's that phrase in Isaiah 53 that says, uh, basically, Jesus was ugly. There was nothing desirable about him, <laughs> that we should desire him. And yet he came, and it was a risk. And please don't quote me on that, Jesus ugly, that's not good. But, but you know what I mean? Like, there, there was nothing, like, sensational or exciting about the fact that Jesus was here as this Messiah, or that's what Isaiah was talking about. And so God was inviting us, both by showing us love, but also taking the risk and taking the first step to say, here I am with arms wide open, and yet, as we know, uh, even today, there are people who reject that gift of love. And so, to really have that connection and that love, it's to risk being loved or not. Last week, we talked about identity, and we looked at John chapter 1 and how Jesus because he is the light of the world and the light shines in the darkness, he's the, the word become flesh, he is God. Um, 
what he says about us is most important. That what he says about our identity, uh, you know, he illuminates our identity with what he says and just by his very presence with us. And so that all leads us to today. You can go to the next slide. The title of today's message is Embodiment. And this is going to be like a two-parter, two-part series or two-part message sort of thing because we're covering the first half of the the traditional um, you know Christmas story that you we always read on Christmas Eve. We're we're covering the first half and then we'll do the second half on Christmas Eve. So our passage today is Luke two eight through twelve, and the big idea that we're going to be exploring as it relates to the passage is that Jesus participated in a human body, and we are invited to do the same daily. Jesus participated in the human body, and we're invited to do the same daily. You can go to the next slide. So when I was in college, well, let me back up. I have always worn flannel. I've always, like, probably from when I was, like, yay high, like, before Owen's age, my youngest, like, you know, I... I have always worn flannel. It's something that I just do. It's, you know, my dad probably influenced that decision as well. I just, I've always worn flannel. Fast forward through life to my freshman year of college. I'm at Clackham's Community College. I'm taking a history class with my best friends at the time. And my friend Chris, he is so stylish. Like, he, he's such a style... He, he's in like he does he he has just this idea of like what's in and there was this one point one day we we were getting to be better friends and right before class i had on like a brand new flannel from old navy i love that thing and he came up to me like really serious and he said tim are you sure you want to be wearing that today like are you sure and i mean he was trying to help a brother out because Uh, We were both single, and, you know, there were some cute girls in the class and whatnot, and he was probably thinking, Tim, don't sabotage yourself here. This is not a good move. Well, then fast forward, like within a year or two, flannel like suddenly becomes in, and everybody's wearing flannel again (laughs) because everything goes in cycles. So then fast forward even further to, I think it was sometime either last year or the year before, I was in Milwaukee, uh, hometown where I grew up. I was going through the Starbucks drive-thru, I think wearing a flannel very similar to this one. And this, I, I ordered my standard quad shot over ice espresso, and I pull up to the window, and the guy, he just says, wow, you look so Pacific Northwest right now. And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just dressed normal. I'm just being me. But <laughs> it, it was just this interesting moment because for him, the, I guess here's, I'm landing the plane for some of you who, thinking, where am I going with this? For him, I was embodying this fashion trend um, that you know, even down to uh, Joe and I, we were talking right before service, the buffalo plaid is so in, and it's like linked now with Christmas time. <laughs> it's amazing. But this guy, he, 
he was like, wow, you are so this way. And he, in how he was communicating, it was as though I was embodying this whole culture and idea and this identity of Pacific Northwest, which is kind. And I, in those situations, I never know what to say. And so I said, oh, uh, and then I just got my coffee and left. But <laughs> I didn't say anything like really profound or, or anything at the time. But I say all of that because that's one sense of embodiment. And, um, and there's the other sense where in relation to Jesus, where he, he literally embodied God here on earth. God who, you know, God as spirit actually took on human flesh and he became, he embodied, literally embodied, incarnated in the God-man, Jesus Christ. For you and I, for how we embody things today, we get to show people Jesus with our lives. Um, I was just at a memorial service yesterday, and it was so humbling because um, to, to hear all the stories of this one great uncle and great aunt of Angie's and how every single thing they did was marked by God's love and their faith in the Lord. And they, you know, just in simple tasks and simple things, they embodied Jesus to people in how they interacted with them. And so today, as we reflect on this idea of embodiment, I just want to encourage you that God doesn't just want to use you. He wants you to partner with him to, to represent, to reflect him to the world. So you can go to the next slide. Okay, we're going to do a little bit of context to bring us into the passage today. Um, there's seven verses that precede what we're about to read uh, today, and they really do help set the stage. I'm not going to read them, but I'm going to summarize what's happening here. So Mary and Joseph, parents of Jesus, they are, you know, Mary is great with child, and the Roman government, wouldn't you know it, they just can't leave well enough alone, and they want to take a census. And so um, they say, you will do this on threat of death. And so they uh, had to travel to um, Joseph's hometown of Bethlehem, uh, where his family is originated from. And so they are on this journey. Um, the people who are kind of involved that set this stage is there's Mary and Joseph. Um, there's also kind of an unspoken, it's not written in there, but there's an assumed in the scriptures where uh, there would have been family that would have been in Bethlehem that they could have stayed with um, or that they would have at least been around while Jesus was being born. And because of everybody coming in from everywhere, um, this was a long process. This was not an overnight ordeal um, like some of our Christmas cards may lead us to believe that they just showed up one night and boom, Jesus is there. Um, 
That's not how, how it probably went. And so, uh, and all of this took place. Uh, thankfully, we have historical documents to kind of give us a, a more exact date of when things took place. Would have happened in about the year 6 AD um, when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And the, the setting of our, uh, of our passage today, so there's Bethlehem proper, and then there's outside city limits. Think North Fork Road. Like, think, you know, just wide open spaces where you could have sheep. <laughs> and some people do out North Fork Road. Um, you know, and you could have cattle, and you would have those people who would be uh, tending to those flocks that really supported the economy at that time. And so, <clears throat> uh, something that we need to keep in mind, um, and I wish we were doing a series in Luke um, following this Advent series, because I think it'd be really fascinating to follow this this thread through the Gospel of Luke. Um, but something interesting about Luke is you could weave a thread through all of the stories of Luke's Gospel. And one of the things that he points out is how Jesus reaches out to the people on the fringe, people who are on the outside, people who are um, in the margins, if you will. And so, in keeping that in mind, God is here, God with us is here for the people who might be outside or beyond our expectations. So with all of that context, let's read Luke chapter 2. Turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2 verse 8. Um, if you'd like to follow along on the screen, you may do that as well. And in the same region, Bethlehem proper, right? There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. We'll stop there for right now. The first thing I see in our passage is that God shows up in the margins. He shows up in the outer limits of Bethlehem to these shepherds. And shepherds, I know that <clears throat> I even have in my office this picture, really beautiful picturesque uh, painting of Jesus as a shepherd, the great, you know, the good shepherd with the lamb across his shoulders, and he's got a staff in one hand somehow, and, you know, all of that. And we, we have these beautiful pastoral pictures of what it would mean to be a shepherd. Being a shepherd was not a glamorous job <laughs> whatsoever. 
Um, this was, I mean, this was kind of bottom of the rung level. This would be like being a farmhand. This was not fun uh, stuff. And yet there were people where that was their job. Uh, and there were these shepherds who were in this low position, um, watching out for these sheep at night, outside. Um, and what's fascinating is this personal revelation is given to them these people who are in the margins. It reminds me of this last week. I was at a certain store here in town. I won't name the store because um, I don't want to incriminate this person. Um, there was no criminal activity that took place, by the way, but it was just, anyway, I digress. So <clears throat> I was at the store, and this store, they have had the hardest time keeping employees. Um, they've had the hardest time keeping their, uh, their, uh, their shelves stocked. Um, there is always a stocking cart in an aisle at this particular store. You probably already know what I'm talking about. Um, anyway, I was, I was there because we, we were finally moved into our new house but we needed something, and we hadn't unpacked it yet. And so we, I went there, and, um, and I was talking to this guy, and he said the funniest thing, because I've felt the same way before at different jobs. He said, this job sucks. And, and I, I engaged with him a little bit on it, uh, you know, trying to encourage him or whatever, but... Um, it's fascinating because, like, that guy doesn't want that job. And yet, he's in a position of life where he probably needs that job. And they really need him. But I don't know if they're paying him <laughs> a fair wage or not, probably at least minimum wage. But it's fascinating because it reminds me. So here, God sends this messenger angel to these shepherds out in the field, out in the margins, in the low rung of the low rung, and he's giving this revelation to them. And in a similar way, this Advent, God wants to declare his good news to people like that guy at that store. Also, to people like you and me, where maybe we're not bottom of the rung, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, and I'm just imagining this guy's situation, by the way. I don't know this for sure, but like, you know, we may not be in that particular situation, but man, maybe we feel like we're on the margins. Maybe we feel like we're outside. Maybe we feel like we're beyond the reach of the city limits or the, you know, civilization. And I want to encourage you that God is here for you and for people like that guy. And so <clears throat> this is interesting because Jesus, he participates in this human body, and we're invited to do the same as well. He gives this revelation and this picture of God's good news to these shepherds in the margins, and we are also invited to do the same. You can go to the next slide. The next thing I see in our passage is that God's glory causes us to worship. So in continuing on in verse 9, 
uh, it says that the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And even though I love the English Standard Version, I love what, how the NIV translates that even better because I just think it captures the feeling behind it. It says they were terrified. <laughs> and imagine you're just doing your job, doing your thing, and suddenly out of the blue, an angel shows up. What's going on? And not only that, but then God's holy presence, his glory starts shining around you. This is not a common occurrence. This would have been really weird and outside their norm. They would not have known what to do. I would be freaked out as well if I were in their shoes. And yet, what's fascinating is in Scripture, there are these moments where God's Holy Spirit manifests himself. And what I mean by that, it's not a weird thing. It's just that there are times when it's, he's already there, but it's like he's, he's, we feel him there. Like we know that he's there. It's undeniable that he's there. And this happened in this moment. So the angel shows up. He's just a messenger, by the way. And then, but all of a sudden, with this message comes this experience, and the shepherds freak out, <laughs> like everybody does in Scripture when something like this takes place. And so that, that reminds me of this dynamic of worship, where there is always this revelation that happens, so God reveals himself in some way to us, and then we then respond. And that response is our worship. And then it's like this dance because within our relationship with the Lord, he, you know, he reveals something here, we respond. He reveals some, a little bit more and we respond again. And it's this dance and this life of worship. Now, for these, for these shepherds, they were the blue-collar folk uh, they may have used, I'm just imagining here, but they may have used certain language that you may not use in the synagogue when you go to worship, right? They may have, you know, been using, doing some coarse joking around, I don't know. But, and, you know, that's purely just conjecture. However, instantly, God shows up. And they're terrified. And just like in other parts of Scripture, the response is, fear not. Immediately, the angel of the Lord says, fear not. And then he gives the reason why not. And we'll get into that in a second. I want to just give, in case what I've been saying, if you've never had this kind of experience before, for me, uh, um, there was this moment this last summer when I got to go up to Montana. And there was a lot of um, anxiety around this trip for me. Ask me sometime later, I'll, I'll give you the whole rundown. But there was anxiety, I was anxious. Um, I wasn't sure what to expect. I knew kind of, uh, we were going to this conference, which was this big business meeting for our whole denomination. 
Um, they were going to be talking about all these things, but always as a part of these conferences, they have times of worship, which I think is fantastic. Um, and there was this moment where there was like just really sharp disagreements between people and opinions and all these things. But the worship leaders, I don't think that they were in on all of that because they were just being servants of the Lord and just offering up worship and leading the people into God's presence. And what was fascinating is there was this one morning right before we're supposed to have this big whole talk about, you know, some hairy stuff. And I just, I didn't even, like, I stepped one foot inside the lobby of their church building. And I felt God's presence. Undeniable. Like, this wasn't just me having feelings or, like, warm fuzzies or, like, you know, good vibes or whatever. Like, that wasn't this. I know the difference. And the challenge for me was just, like, oh, God, what are you wanting to do here? What, you know, I haven't felt you like this in a long time. What are you wanting to do in this place? Now, I say all of that because some of us, we get tripped out over the idea of experience. And we think, yes, but truth. Yes, but we also experience God. And that, that, that partners with the truth that God reveals. And experience is an important factor in our faith journey. And I would submit to you that it's really important that we have these kinds of moments with the Lord. Now, sometimes... Uh, for some people, they never have that like feeling of encounter, but they know that the Lord is there. And so if, if you've ever like hungered for that kind of experience and you've never got it before, take heart, you're not alone. And yet, Scripture reveals here that these shepherds out on the margins, people you wouldn't imagine would get to experience something like this, I can guarantee you they probably didn't have this in synagogue week after week. <laughs> and it's like they have this experience that is just so earth-shattering that they, they don't know what to do other than to just be terrified of it. And so <clears throat> in how that all relates to things? How can we apply this? I think we need to recognize moments when God shows up. And, and when that happens, we need to be, yes, rooted in Scripture, know our Word, make, know God's Word, make sure that our experience, you know, lines up with what's written and all of that. But at the same time, knowing how to respond in that moment and how to transition just from both that fear but then to a place of worship and recognizing God for who he is. So, you can go to the next slide. Final thing, landing the plane. There's, there's a contrast here. Uh, the glorious gift and humble beginnings. So, angel of the Lord, he says, fear not, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Um, that will be for all the people. And it's because the Savior has been born. He's been born in Bethlehem, and this is going to be the sign for you. 
how many of us, myself included, we want God to make absolutely clear that I heard what I heard from the Lord. I want a confirmation receipt, <laughs> you know? Um, that's what I want. I want, you know, that email that just comes to my, floods my inbox with all these confirmations. I want some kind of a sign to know that I'm not just tripped out in my head and that I'm actually experiencing this thing and I'm hearing the Lord correctly. I want to know that He has spoken and He gives a sign. Now, this isn't, you know, there are people who they chase after signs. And what I mean by that is like, for example, and you're probably going to laugh at this. I hope you do. There are people where it's like, legitimately in their, their walk of faith, they will put a ton of stock into like um, the clickbait on, online that tells people that like, somebody found the picture of Jesus in a grilled cheese sandwich, right? Or here's this mound of potatoes and somehow it's the Lord. I had a situation, oh my gosh, I feel terrible about this. So there's actually a pastor in our conference uh, who he had gone to Israel and he was just taking pictures in Israel like you do as a tourist. And when he had the film developed, there was this, this one particular picture of clouds, and evidently, somehow, it looks like Jesus. I looked at the picture because one of the pastors in our conference said, will you get a load of this? Like, what's going on here? And I don't see it. Just, I gut level honest with you. I don't see Jesus in those clouds. However, I will say this. <clears throat> we were at this general conference in, uh, in June of this last year that I referenced earlier, and the outreach ministry that they've been able to do with that picture, and they're not like doing like smoke and mirrors. Like they really believe they see Jesus in this cloud. They have gone, uh, you know, this pastor and some other folks, um, they've done this missionary work to Southeast Asia to Muslim communities. And there are thousands of Muslims converting to faith in Christ because of this, this thing. Because there's some I don't know, Muslim prophecy or something that Jesus is going to come back in the clouds, yada, yada. And I don't, I don't know about all that. But what I do know is that these people, they see this picture and they think, Jesus is coming now. <laughs> He's here. And so um, I say that because, you know, that's the, the, the extravagant, the, you know, we want God to show up in that way and to give us that kind of a sign. We want that kind of sensation. And that's not what God gave the shepherds, was it? So just to reiterate, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Um, we don't know when this all took place in relation to Jesus being born, um, but even in the first week or so, um, babies, even if they've been 
bathed, they still kind of look a little funky. Precious, beautiful little ones, but they can kind of look a little funky, don't they, sometimes? Can we be honest here? Um, uh, but Jesus, you know, we see these like picturesque poster cards of like the baby Jesus in, in a manger and like um, the halo around his head and all of this. But that probably wasn't the picture that the shepherds arrived at. Um, you know, the manger, it was like a feeding trough, right? And um, Jesus is just wrapped in some kind of cloth, swaddled all up, probably because he's trying to bust out and, you know, be a little baby Jesus <laughs> and like, pum, pum, pum. Um, but but the, the gift, that glorious gift, it was a humble picture. It was something unexpected. And how many times do we go to Jesus, go to the Lord with our expectations, and then when he gives us a different sign, we think, was that it? Really? That? Are you sure? Um, and yet that is what uh, the Lord gave these shepherds. Now, as we reflect on and we celebrate the good news of God with us, and we look forward to Christmas, I want to ask the question, how does this story challenge our expectations about the Lord and what he's doing in your life? How did Jesus meet them? And maybe how does he want to meet you this Christmas season? Because Jesus, he participated in the human body. He did his part. And we're invited to do the same each and every day because he's worth it. And, and that is a challenge because I'm sure that even though, um, like Angie's great uncle, who just embodied and was the epitome of God's love to people, I'm sure he had rough days. <laughs> I'm sure you have rough days just like I do. Um, and that we are all in process. And I think the encouragement is not to scorn or like reject the fact that God has given us these bodies and this life to live where we are. Rather to turn the question back to the Lord and say, okay, God, here's what I have. <laughs> this is what you've given me. Now what do you want me to do with it to help share this great news that God has come to set things right. As we look forward to that final day when he sets everything right completely. So let's pray.